0: Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. The federal government has been releasing a number of policies and procedures that will affect care delivery and are aimed at rising costs of care and prescription drugs. I'm Laura Jost, Associate Editorial Director of the American Journal of Managed Care, and recently I spoke with Ted O'Con, Executive Director of the Community Oncology Alliance, About a number of policies affecting COA's members, including proposals around chimeric antigen receptor T cell therapies, pharmacy benefit managers, and the oncology care model. Hi, Ted. I wanted to start with one of the newer proposals. Could you talk about what impacts CMS's new proposal for CAR T cell therapy? which requests patients be enrolled in a clinical trial or registry to get coverage, could have on access to these therapies.
1: I think what CMS is trying to do is ensure that there is data available so that they can assess the impact of CAR-T and data relation to seniors covered under Medicare. There is not a lot of data out there specifically in terms of the use of CAR-T therapy on seniors, and so, I believe that CMS is trying to collect data, which would either be through a registry or through a clinical trial. Um, I think one of the, the 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 points that we are concerned about um, and will be commenting on on the, uh, the 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 CMS proposed NCD is the fact that they only mention the use of in hospitals. Um, and outpatient hospital facilities, and not uh, community clinics, especially community, uh, very sophisticated community oncology practices that do bone marrow transplants and other types of um, uh, intricate, complex procedures. And already, there are a number of community oncology practices that are actually participating in uh, clinical trials under CAR-T, for CAR-T. So, um, we will be commenting that um, we believe CMS should not just be restricting these clinical trials or or, or the use of these new agents, uh, these new CAR T therapies, just in the hospital setting.
0: So then, your stakeholders are concerned that this proposal could potentially be cutting community providers out of providing CAR T.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the disconcerting part, and again, it's a proposed NCD. Let me, let me make that clear. But the disconcerting part of this is it's all about hospitals. And uh, once again, if you look at some of the CAR-T clinical trials, new CAR-T therapies that are in clinical trial, those clinical trials are being, uh, uh, are being conducted in the outpatient community oncology practice setting. So um, we, need to get that, we need to get that changed because that would not only be a restriction, but it would, would it su- significantly impact in a negative way the collection of data that CMS is trying to uh, basically get at in terms of collecting data on CAR-T therapies and their impact on seniors.
0: Is there any other feedback from the CAR-T cell task force, positive or negative, that you can share at this time?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that we are in the process of formulating that. We had um, a, a long call the other night with our uh, CAR-T task force, and on that task force, you have investigators that are doing clinical trials right now, so uh, oncologists or transplant physicians that have been signed in their practice to basically uh, look at CAR-T, and, and, and as a result, we've got a lot of impact in terms of elements like not restricting it, obviously, to hospitals. There are elements around the data collection and where we think there are some things that CMS wants to change there. So we'll have a lot of good feedback um, shortly because the comment letter is, is due um, roughly a week from today.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's move on to PBM rebates because that is one of the issues that is top of mind for COA and its members. Does COA believe that the proposed rule to end PBM rebates will successfully bring down drug costs for patients?
1: Well, I think it's a first step. I I think that, first of all, um, we're only talking about Medicare and Medicaid rebates. We're not talking about on the commercial side. Now, there has been a bill introduced in the Senate. That will um, that that would uh, effectively eliminate the rebates on the commercial side, and you know during the Senate Finance hearing, you had seven CEOs that basically said that if rebates were eliminated in Medicare on the commercial side, that they would uh, lower list prices, and I and I think now it's very clear and it's very obvious and it's a fact that rebates get counted into uh, the prices that manufacturers set. So if the rebates are eliminated, um, I think pharmaceutical manufacturers are on the hook, and rightfully so, to lower the list, price, l- the list prices of their drugs.
0: You said this is a first step. Does COA have other policies in mind around PBMs that would help reduce drug prices for patients?
1: what I what I meant is the first step is that this is the first step at Medicare and Medicaid If it gets implemented um, and it actually goes through by the uh, by the administration and they implement this, then I think you see it will have a ripple effect on the commercial side. It would be nice to have a bill passed that would eliminate these on the on the on the commercial side and so then when you eliminate rebates on the commercial side and you eliminate Rebates on the Medicare and Medicaid side, yes, I expect drug pr- list prices to go down because pharmaceutical manufacturers will be under um, will be under tremendous pressure then because they won't have have any excuses of rebates to lower list prices of, of 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 drugs. Now realize that we're essentially talking about oral drugs here, so that's where the rebates are applied to. We're not talking about rebates in the in the, in the Part B space. That's another situation. Mm-hmm.
0: And there are a lot of policies and proposals coming out of the government right now. Another one that I wanted to ask you about was the International Pricing Index. COA has come out as opposing it. What are your concerns with the IPI, and does COA have a preferred alternative?
1: Yeah, so uh, let me let me put aside for a minute the actual idea of indexing drug prices to foreign countries. Um, and, I'll, and I'll come back to that. But the, 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 the big thing that we opposed was the fact that, number one, this would be uh, a mandatory demonstration project that would be conducted in 50 percent of the country, but would affect the entire country. So when you look at, for example, indexing prices to other countries, um, that would impact the ASP of Uh, the ASP of drug manufacturers, which not only impacts Medicare, but it impacts commercial payers because ASP is the basis for drug reimbursement in the commercial world. So you're talking about, first of all, doing a mandatory demo, which we are absolutely dead set against mandatory demos in Medicare. Um, they're unconstitutional, and they're illegal. They're a way of basically an administration using CMMI to end run the Congress on existing statute, meaning law. So um, we're dead set against that, but specifically in the heart of the IPI model that a lot of people glaze over because they look at the international price-setting piece of it, that, that in implementing the Competitive Acquisition Program, or CAP as it's known, would fundamentally change the way the cancer patients get their medication. So uh, right now, practices, just like hospitals, take title to a drug, so they have the inventory on hand that when a patient needs a drug, the drug has to be changed, that basically um, it's there. So it is just-in-time patient delivery of chemotherapy. Well, when you take that away and you give some middleman title to the drug, they're not going to hand over their inventory. They're going to want to basically what we call white bag it, which is ship a dosage by dosage when the patient, when when the provider says they need the dosage. There's two problems with that. Number one, it's not just in time. And number two, It puts the power in the hands of some middleman. And if you look on the Part D side now with these PBMs, they have so much power that they are restricting patients from getting their drugs on time, getting their drugs at all, getting the right drugs. This is a nightmare scenario. And then um, what the government proposes to do is then sort of play a flat add-on to ASP. And there's just not an understanding that the add-on to ASP right now, it's ASP plus six is the Medicare reimbursement rate, but it really is 4.3 with the sequester. That's not profit above the drug cost. First of all, you're either buying the drug below or above in cases, and in many cases, what the average price is. But that, that, that plus has to cover the cost associated with both the infrastructure and the human resources cost of uh, procuring the drug, storing the drug, inventorying the drug, preparing the drug, disposing of the drug in terms of any waste, so um, this is a real problem, and not to just say no to the whole thing, we've proposed a solution we we, we actually don't think and and that that we are concerned about the the pricing side of it but what the government's worried about is two things number one they're worried about that when a manufacturer introduces a price to introduces a new drug to the market that basically they 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 can price that drug as high as they want because there's this belief because there's this add-on to ASP that oncologists and other physicians other specialties are going to use the highest priced drug First of all, in cancer care, we've disproven that. We filed basically a document, and analysis with our IPI comment letter that basically says that um, that that is not true. But that being said, that they're worried about that, number one, and then they're worried, number two, of uh, physicians using the highest-priced drug because of, of the add-on. So what we proposed in lieu of CAP and sort of this flat ASP add-on fee is we proposed a clinically appropriate utilization management review that that basically practices participating in Medicare would have, a in essence, a pathways on all their drugs. They would um, be provider pathways. They would not be developed by the government. Um, basically, and what that would do is ensure that physicians are following pathways. And in conjunction with that, we would tier ASP. So no, it doesn't make sense to pay for a $500,000, uh, drug or a therapy like CAR T at ASP plus six. So you basically tier the ASP and, um, that would also incent, um, and basically lower level the playing field, for uh, low price generics as well as biosimilars. We want to create a healthy biosimilar market. And so you would tier ASP, you wouldn't have just one add-on. You would have the higher the price of the drug, the lower the add-on. The lower the price of the drug, the higher the add-on. And what that does is create a level playing field in conjunction with clinically appropriate utilization management. We think that, number one, that... That would have a manufacturer think more about when they introduce a product that they just can't willy-nilly have a high price. They have to think about, number one, is it going to be on the pathway? That's a function of what value the drug has, what novelty the drug has, and and also the price of the drug. They would also have to think about, hmm, the higher I price the drug, the lower the add-on as well, too. So it, 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 it forces the manufacturer to think a little differently, and it certainly should overcome any problems that, they ha- that the government has about providers. We think that's a much better uh, behavioral solution than this, this, this crazy CAP program in relation to with also this flat ASP.
0: You mentioned the biosimilar space. So how are community oncologists preparing for the arrival of biosimilars of anti-cancer treatments such as Bevacizumab and Trastuzumab?
1: Well, we want a healthy biosimilar market. And at COA, we have created a biosimilar uh, committee. Um, it is chaired by Dr. Kasha Patel, and he has two co-chairs, Dr. Jeff Veserka and Dr. Michael Diaz. So one is president, one is past president, and Dr. Patel is the vice president. So it shows you how important this biosimilar committee is. We are going to be coming out with a statement um, uh, right after our conference, or actually probably release it at the conference, a statement on uh, biosimilars um, that will be be put before the, uh, the board of COA for approval. Uh, the biosimilars committee is in the process of reviewing that and working on that statement. That will basically lead to an effort of uh, education and communications around biosimilars so that When biosimilars are available for some of these products, um, oncologists can make an informed, appropriate decision about those biosimilars.
0: And does COA see biosimilars playing a role in helping practices reach their oncology care model goals?
1: Well, you know, yeah, the, the answer is yes in a purely... If you if you sort of think through the economic operations of OCM, because basically you'd have you know lower prices uh, for drugs that are used. But I I am I am totally against. We, we have this kind con- of conversations all the time. Um, but totally against the think the thought process of you of 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 thinking about drugs in terms of what. The economic benefit may be to the practice. It's what is the most appropriate drug for the patient. Number one, clinically, and then number two, it's the cost factor. Because obviously, financial toxicity in cancer care is really um, is a, is a reality, not just with drugs. But by the way, it's with all the the obscene hospital costs. But that being said. If a biosimilar is appropriate, an oncologist thinks they have, uh, basically, with a biosimilar, it is clinically appropriate, then obviously, if it's priced accordingly, that price will be better for the system and the practice. Now, yes, does that basically help in the, the OCM? But I, I'm one of the, my biggest problems with the OCM right now is and the way it's designed. It's really designed around the idea of rewarding or, um, or sort of slapping the hand of practices based on, um, drug utilization and drug costs. And that is a very scary thing. We reviewed a lot of data, um, this past, um, the week before we had our OCM OCM 2.0 team meeting reviewed a lot of data these practices are doing an incredible job of keeping patients out of the emergency room out of the hospital and basically increasing quality and but it it always comes because of the nature of the OCM it always comes down to this cost and this and 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 you know therefore how products are priced it it actually has some the model has some fundamental flaws around that. And I, and I think this is a very dangerous path to go down to be thinking about only the idea of what a drug um, costs or how it's priced. And therefore, the idea of you, you, would, only, you would use a biosimilar just because it would help you in the OCM is, is a very dangerous thing to me.
0: Uh, speaking of OCM, performance period three results are coming up. What feedback have you heard from community oncology practices about how they have been performing in OCM so far?
1: Well, I, it's, a little, it, it's a little distressing because I see practices that um, all across the board have fundamentally changed the way they basically provide care, their operations around that, and it be- has become a lot more patient-centric. And you know these these performance periods come out, and again the biggest driver are basically drugs and drug costs. And you have there's a total there's a total there's a huge flaw in the model that some of these um, basically baselines do not take into account, even with novel therapy adjustments, novel therapies like. some of the IO drugs, which you have to use when they're totally indicated, it would be malpractice. it would be criminal not to use some of these drugs only because you're going to do better on the OCM. So what happens is practices suffer. and you know um, it's a little bit of a, an illusion because I was looking at some data the other day is that the when you look at the OCM, you know there are only about a third of the practices that are actually getting um, that are that are not in the red, if you will, that are actually you know having a positive performance, but then I saw some data from the second period where they have a true up if you will, and that number goes down to around twenty percent one in five there there is there is something fundamentally flawed about the model when that's the, when that's the when that is the the case. Because if you look at what these practices are doing, you understand what these practices are doing, how they've changed delivery. And they are keeping patients out of the hospital. They are keeping patients out of the ER. You look at some of those stats. But what's driving this is this drug thing. And in essence, practices are penalized when they use the right drug just because that drug is now novel and the the model doesn't basically keep pace for those novel therapies.
0: Now we're almost halfway through the OCM, I believe. So, is there anything that can be done at this point to make adjustments?
1: Let me say this, and I think this is really important. You know, CMMI and specifically the OCM team has done Yeoman's work here. This is a, it's, it's 1.0. You know, it's like any version of any piece of software or hardware that comes out, and it's got It has problems with it. That's why we devoted half of our meeting the other week to the OCM 1.0 and half of our meeting to the 2.0. So we know now where they need to make changes. We know where some of the things where they've got to think differently about the model. And um, you know, the answer is CMMI and the OCM team have made changes along the way with the OCM 1.0. They will make, um, I'm sure, some additional changes, but. It is what it is. Now the, now the, the, the time is to basically, um, now the time is to look at, you know, how, how does the model, how should the model evolve? My biggest concern is that I think you will see, um, you may see a lot of practices that drop out. You may have some problems when problems, when certain practices are faced to take, you know, risk. And um, they're just not, Uh, There are some practices that I know are not willing to do that, especially when they're fundamental with flaws with the model.
0: To learn more about the oncology care model, CMS's proposal regarding CAR T-cell therapies and other topics discussed in this podcast, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. COA will be meeting for its annual Community Oncology Conference in Orlando, Florida, April 4th and 5th where more than 1,500 healthcare professionals are expected to convene and discuss issues related to clinical, business, advocacy, and pharmacy aspects of delivering cancer care. To get in touch with us, you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.